Penny, star one. Good morning, and welcome to Old Readers Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Penny C. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from the Boston area. Today is Friday, May 6, 2022. Today we are reading from the big book, and we are on page two of Bill's story. We are reading one one paragraph and sharing on just that one paragraph. This one begins with, I took a night law course and ends with, Constructions of philosophic thought were so derived. The reference numbers for yesterday, Thursday, May 5th, the 7 a.m. meeting, 18,925, 18925. And for yesterday, 10 a.m. meeting, the number is 18,926, 18926. The OA preamble, Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose OA's tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, the message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Marie... B, to read the 12 steps for us. Good morning, Marie. Good morning. Um, This is Marie B in Florida, compulsive overeater, and here are the steps as adapted for Overeaters Anonymous. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him. 
praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And 12, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you. Thank you, Marie B. And now Joanne L. is going to read the 12 Traditions. Good morning, everyone. Thanks for your service, Penny. Joanne L. from Rhode Island, recovering in Rhode Island. The 12 Traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise. Least problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thanks, and I pass. Have a great day. And same to you, and thank you, Joey and Al. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic in literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinent requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book, 
in Bill's story on page two, excuse, yeah, page two, the first paragraph that begins with, I took a night law course and ends with, constructions of philosophic thought were so derived. And I'm going to ask Dara L. to begin that reading for us. Great. Thanks so much for your service. I'm Dara L. I'm a recovered compulsive eater in Philadelphia. I took a night law course and obtained employment as investigator for a surety company. The drive for success was on. I'd proved to the world I was important. My work took me about Wall Street, and little by little, I became interested in the market. Many people lost money, but some became very rich. Why not I? I studied economics and business as well as law, potential alcoholic that I was. I nearly failed my law course. At one of the finals, I was too drunk to think or write. Though my drinking was not yet continuous, it disturbed my wife. We had long talks when I would still her forebodings by telling her that men of genius conceived their best projects when drunk, that the most majestic constructions of philosophic thought were so derived. And gosh, can I relate to this paragraph? You know, I was thinking about when I was in college and um, taking like 18 credits a semester and I thought I was going to like, I don't know, I thought I was hot stuff. And and my pattern was every semester I'd start off like really great, you know, just like come out of the gate swinging and I'd be doing awesome. And by the end of the semester, I'd have to take a medical leave of absence (laughs) and check myself into treatment. you know, and, but, you know, then I'd get out of treatment and I was like, again, the drive for success is on. You know, I kept thinking that if I, um, if I achieved enough externally, I'd feel okay on the inside. You know, if I was the perfect body, if I had the perfect boyfriend, if I got the perfect job, whatever it was, you know, I just, I wanted to prove to you all, whoever you are, you know, whoever people were, that I was important. But then if people really, but then I thought, you know, if people really knew me, then they wouldn't love me. Like I just, I could not get still inside my own skin. And I kept thinking that external achievements were going to fix that. And, you know, I see Bill's delusion here and I was so delusional. And, you know, when he's talking about people becoming very rich and why can't I be that way? I mean, jealousy was like my touchstone in active addiction. I looked at other people and I'm like, oh, so-and-so has this, you know, screw them. Why can't I have that? Why can't I do that? And um, I think, you know, there's like, it's healthy to have a sort of like reasonable level of ambition. But for me, um, my my ambitions did not match my actions. And I relate so much to Bill who under the influence of alcohol, you know, he would have these grandiose plans. And for me, you know, I can relate to that because I got to tell you, every time I picked up my binge food, you know, never mind that I'd be binging and purging and like lying on the bathroom floor crying. I was thinking about how, you know, like I was going to make it and starting tomorrow, you know, I was going to diet and my life was going to be great. And then I was going to get the job and the boyfriend or, you know, God forbid, if I got all those things, because I I did, you know, I, I achieved amazing things at various points in my life. And Um, And there was not like the level of loneliness and despair for me at actually reaching success and realizing that like, oh, my God, I got what I wanted on the outside and my insides are still broken. You know, it it was just really painful. And um, yeah, so I I definitely ate like Bill drank. 
Um, and I can't wait to hear what others have to say. And thanks so much for letting me share. Thank you, Dara L. And before I take names for pe- from people who would like to share, let me just remind us that if we, any of us have shared on any of Vision meetings in the last two days, that means Wednesday or Thursday, we ask you just to hold back and allow and allow others to have their voices heard. So um, please, I'll do my best to hear everyone who would like to share on this paragraph. Nessa R. Janet B. Rosie Jen A. Melissa C. Amy G. I think I missed one. Let me read who I have, and I... Somewhere in there, I missed one name, I believe. I have Nessa, Janet, Jen, Melissa, and Amy. Did I miss someone? Rosie W. What is it? What's your first name, please? Rosie. Rosie? Yeah. Okay. Let's do those. Yeah, that's that's, um, a good list for now. Let's start with Nessa. And please, everybody... Uh, give me your last initial and, and if you wish where you, you're calling from. So, Nessa, thank you. Let's start. Hi. Good morning, Vision for Youth. My name is Nessa R., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater in Toronto, Canada. Um, yeah, Bill would steal Lewis's forebodings. Um, I don't believe for a minute that he could steal Lewis's forebodings, and I think that what he was trying to do is actually uh, still his own forebodings to give himself permission to continue um, doing what he was doing. Um, You know, because the truth is, um, I for myself, I cannot overeat on the truth. I can, maybe the people who can, uh, I cannot. I can only um, overeat on a lie. So if I tell myself, you know, I'm just going to have two cookies and everything is going to be okay. I'm going to be able to just, you know, be like a normal eater. Then I can go and eat. Um, but if I would tell myself, you know what, um, I'm going to eat two cookies and then I'm going to eat the whole pack and then I'm going to eat something salty and then again something sweet and then I'm going to eat this and that and the other and then I'm going to be, you know, 100 pounds overweight, and I'm going to have a fight with my husband, and I'm not going to fit into my clothes, and, you know, I'm going to, you know, God forbid, get a divorce, and I wouldn't eat. I could only eat on a lie, and, you know, some of the lies we told ourselves, I told myself, were very subtle, and some of them were not so subtle, like, like, oh, well, it's only, it's, I'm only 10 pounds overweight. I'm only 20 pounds overweight. I'm only 30 pounds overweight. You know, when I get to 50 pounds, and I'll, if, if I get to 50 pounds overweight, then I'll see. You know, and of course, you know, I got to like um, almost 200 pounds that way. Uh, and the biggest, uh, the biggest lie of all is, well, you know what? I might as well just enjoy my food and be a happy, fat person. And you know what? I was never able to be a, a happy, fat person. Uh, that was like... I don't know, the, the, the biggest scam that my brain came up with, 
because this is who I am. I mean, like I'm full of self-justification. I find any reason to justify um, anything and everything that I do, that I want to do, that I think, you know, that other people, other people should do. And I believe, and I believe all of this, all of this, right? Because it's not very hard um, to fool a fool. You know, I want to give myself permission to eat whatever I want. And guess what? It didn't work for Bill. It didn't work for me. At some point, I had to face the truth as did Bill, that I cannot control this thing, that I, on my own devices, um, cannot arrest this problem. Um, the only thing that worked for me was seeking God. And how did I seek God? You know, by becoming entirely abstinent so the food would not be a block. And then by working the steps to remove in, imperfectly and only at times all my defects of character and all my self-centered plans and designs that kept me blocked from him and truly develop a relationship with God where what not. Thank you. Where what matters is not what I want from God, but what God wants from me. And I don't have to lie to myself anymore, and I pass. Thank you so much, Nessa. And next we have Janet. Hi, good morning. This is Janet B., Recovered Compulsive Eater in New Jersey. So, Bill, he, uh, he says he nearly failed his law course because he was too drunk to think at the final. I mean, law school is really hard. Imagine going through a whole semester of law school, and there your entire grade rests on how you do on the final exam, usually. So he went through a whole semester and then was too drunk. And I can just imagine what people were saying about him, like, Bill, you know, come on, get your act together. Like, don't you care? And they would think, he didn't really want to stop because who, who, would, who would drink during a law school final? And in some weird way, that was similar to me. My first six years in Overeaters Anonymous, I went through about 50 different sponsors. I could not put the food down. I never got more than two weeks in that time. And I am sure people were saying about me, just like they probably were about Bill, she doesn't really want to stop. Because if someone wanted to stop when the prices, when the consequences were so drastic, they would stop. And that tells me that the people around Bill, probably, and the people around me, for sure, didn't really understand. Because the problem was never lack of desire, right? Who of us would tell someone with cancer, if you really wanted to recover from cancer, you'd make your cancer cells stop multiplying? I mean, that would just be cruel. And in a way, people saying to me, if you really wanted to stop, you could, they really didn't get it because lack of desire was never my problem. My problem, the book tells me on page 24, is lack of power, right? It tells us that at a certain point in the drinking of every alcoholic or the binging of every compulsive eater, she passes into a state where the most powerful desire to stop is of absolutely no avail. I had the desire, I had no power. So what's my solution? You know, same as Bill's solution, right? When Eddie came to see him, he said, here set a miracle directly across the kitchen table. That is the only solution this book tells us, a miracle, which sounds in a way kind of crazy, like isn't a miracle something we have no 
control over. Like God just, I don't know, rolls the dice. And if he gets snake eyes, he gives the person a miracle. But no, um, on page 57, it really gives us the recipe, the formula for a miracle. It says, what is this but a miracle of healing, yet its elements are simple. The elements of a miracle are simple. Circumstances made him willing to believe, right? I was beat, so I said, okay, I'll try this God thing. He humbly offered himself to his maker. Then he knew, and God restored him to his right mind. Just saying, God, I've tried it my way. It doesn't work. I'm going to try it your way as best I can. Surrender to you. Try and live an honest life where I think of other people and clean up my past. And then the beautiful promise at the end of the chapter, we agnostics, when we drew near to him, he disclosed himself to us. He has come to all who have honestly sought him. And that is the beautiful miracle that saved Ebby, saved Bill, and has saving me. So thanks, and with that, I pass. Thank you, Janet B. And next, and I know where this lady's from, from Colorado, Jen A. <laughs> hey, good morning, Penny. <laughs> thanks for taking the meeting this morning. It's good to hear your voice. Uh, this is Jen A. I am in Littleton, Colorado. I'm a recovered uh, compulsive eater. By God's grace and mercy today, I thank him every day. Wow, Bill's story. Do I identify in with Bill? That's what I'm always asking myself when I read this chapter. And when I read it the first time, I was like, who is this guy? <laughs> he's on Wall Street. He's a nut job. <laughs> but he's just like me because I was just as unstable and still can be. I can sit in the seat of denial. I was before I came into this program, and I still sit there today. And I'm definitely delusional in my thinking, both then and now. Um, and what does this program do? It helps me to deflate my ego. That's what I hear in this paragraph. Um, ego, right? My ego is the narrator in my head. It's all the stories that I start thinking in my head. It's all the stories I start listening to and the stories I believe. And then I try and make that outcome happen in my life. Um, I'm, I'm proving something, right? I'm proving you know, that I need to be somebody and I'm going to be successful. I need your validation because there's this God-sized hole in my soul. And if it doesn't get filled with applause, right? Is it, we talked about applause on the last page. It doesn't get filled with applause and, and all this great stuff. Then guess what? I'm going to go looking for it. And I can still do that today. And I will just say that this program of action has helped me come in when I first came in, and all I was doing was looking for validation and applause. And, uh, you know, today, not so much. Um, you know, like Bill here, who is he serving? Himself, me, myself, and I. I'd prove to the world that I was important. Why not I? Okay, Bill. <laughs> and so did Jen. It was all the Jen Marie show. Um, so, you know, today I'm so glad that as a result of, um, you know, putting the food down, working the steps, and the spiritual awakening that happened and continues to happen in my life from doing the work and living in 1 through 12, that I can continue to see that my ego will continue to grow and I continue to need to smash it. And I'm not that powerful to do it. The last person said that lack of power is my dilemma. I don't have the power to smash my own ego. But you know what? Somebody else does. That one is God. May you find him now, Jen. May you find him every day. Um, the food has taken over for me. It alters the path of my life. The drive for success was on. All truth is going to go out the window. 
I'm going to cover up, I'm going to lie, cheat, steal, manipulate, and as a compulsive overeater, I even negotiate. But guess what? It just leads to more fear, anxiety, and tension in my life. So what am I going to do? I need to find, I need to find a power greater than myself. And it's not in me. And there's nothing for me to prove anymore. And this last two weeks at work, this happened for me. Is that I used to go into my workplace and I thought I needed to prove to my team that I was valuable and that I was needed. And that my job couldn't, nobody could do my job. And this, the last two weeks, guess what? I step aside. Because guess who's my new employer today, God? Guess who I'm working for today, God? Guess who's running the show? God, not Jen. And it's been so great to see that when I step out of the way, thanks, Penny, God's successful, not me. And then this world runs a little bit easier. Thanks, and have a great day, everybody. And thank you so much. And next, Melissa C. from New York. Melissa? Hi, good morning. Sorry, it took me a minute to unmute. Um, good morning, it's Melissa C. Recovered Compulsive Overeater in New York. And thanks so much, Penny. It's great to hear your voice this morning. And, um, you know, when I when I read this part of the story and Bill's story, um, the first part of the story, what I hear is somebody who has extreme, you know, lots of ambition, lots of drive, this desire to be successful, like, clearly he's a smart guy with a lot of great skills, and but he's so self-absorbed. So all of his abilities and talents and skills and intelligence is really only to serve himself. It's all self-serving. And, you know, for someone like me with this addiction, my only solution, yes, it's God, it's a relationship with God, but it's about no longer being the focus of my own personal success, but I'm supposed to be helpful for other people. I'm supposed to look and see what I can do to help others. And um, and here, you know, when it's all self-serving interests, um, doesn't go so well for him. And I, you know, what I also think is like, here he is, um, he's already under the master, you know, the master of, of the alcohol, you know, and when, when you're under control of that master, which is, you know, born of selfishness, right, self-centeredness, but it's manifesting itself as alcoholism, um, the master tells you what, what you like and what you can do. And so, you know, even the consequences aren't really enough because, you know, the master said, like, makes no big deal about it. So so you're too drunk and you almost fail your, your law exam after, you know, working so hard for it. And then it also continues to tell you, yeah, you can do brilliant things while drinking, you know, and in fact, try to sell that line to your wife. And that's how it was with me with the food. You know, the food either told me what I didn't want to do or it told me you can do this because you can eat while you do it. And the only thing that has, you know, relieved me of that is a relationship with God where my focus is not about me and getting my selfish needs met because we're going to see Bill's wonderful ambition and drive. Ultimately, for all of us, we'll benefit from it. When it's put to proper use, you know, we can do wonderful things. Thanks for that. I'll pass. Thank you, Melissa C. Next up is Amy. Good morning, Amy. 
Good morning. My name is Amy G. Um, I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Maryland. Wow, tough lineup to follow you all. What an awesome meeting. Um, for me today, I, I wanted to talk about the line I proved to the world I was important. You know, I don't feel like we have cornered the market as a compulsive, compulsive eaters of power, wanting power, money, popularity, prestige, that that's the way to go. I mean, I bought the myth that the world sells. I mean, there, no one handed out, or at least I used to think everyone handed, got an instruction manual to life and somehow I got passed by because maybe I wasn't good enough or something. You know, I bought the myth. The world says that if you have those things that you will be happy. I didn't understand that I had a hole in the soul that I was trying to fill with my a knife and a fork and any other mood-altering substances. I didn't understand that a spiritual way of life that this program teaches me is a fantastic way to live my life, and the other life is so the other way is so unfulfilling. So by the time I'm a kid in my 20s, a fully uh, compulsive eater, drug addict, and alcoholic, trying to find my way in the world. You know, it wasn't working. And remember what they were talking about in the big book, that I am bodily and mentally different from my fellows so that when things didn't work, Bill talks about it later in his story. You know, out of drink and speculation, I was to form a a weapon that would turn around like a boomerang and shred me to ribbons. That's exactly what my way of dealing with life was doing to me. And when things didn't go my way, of course, I'd find an insane reason to put those binge foods in my mouth because my thinking was warped. I mean, we're talking about the development of the mental obsession that is going on here, so much so that he's rationalizing and negotiating with his wife that it's okay to do what he's doing. And that's what I was doing as well. And I know some people on the line are probably going to hate me when, we say, when I say this because I used to think this myself, is to say, you know, I am grateful today for what this disease has done to me because it forced me to my knees and to understand that the way of life that I had was killing me and that the food was killing me and I needed a new way to live. The big book talks about a design for living that works. The design for living is for me is to live a God-centered life, love God, serve others, work these steps, be abstinent versus the one that serves Amy, the self-centered, insecure, power, money, prestige way of life that Amy was living. So I'm grateful today because now I have a new way to live that not only where the food it miraculously does not call to me anymore, but allows me to live a life of sanity and sobriety in my mind and to live with my higher power whom I choose to call God. That is miraculous. And for that, I am so grateful for you all for these 12 steps and for God in my life. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Amy G. And uh, Rosie, it's your turn. Thank you, Penny. Uh, this is Rosie, compulsive overeater in the UK. Oh, gosh, this paragraph. Um, I've really enjoyed the shares, but I think for me, what it's really, what it's really reminding me of today about my, my, the life that I had before I started trying on a daily basis to. Um, to live on a spiritual basis um, was that my life was just one big rehearsal. It was all delayed gratification and everything was about this day, this mythical day in the future when circumstances would change and I would feel good. I would be important. You know, the drive was success. The drive for success was on. I would show, I proved to the world that I was important. And I lived, I lived, 30 years in that state of rehearsal in that state of well things aren't okay now 
but they are going to be okay and I've got to do x y and z to make things okay and whilst I wait for them to to be okay I'm going to just get as many pockets of instant gratification as I can and for me that was food Um, I'm just going to put something in my mouth and I'm going to feel okay and even though I know that things aren't great at the moment they will be okay they will be okay and I lost I lost half of my life to to this fantasy time that didn't exist um, of when my circumstances were changed and I would feel better. Um, And that's because I was always, always, always searching for the answer in external things. I had no idea that there was something called God living inside me. I had no idea that I could get up in the morning and be present for more than 10 seconds. Um, And this for me is a life's work. I woke up this morning and I felt miserable. I felt crazy. I tried to pray. I was then directed to go for a walk and try some movement whilst I prayed. Everything felt wrong. I was stamping around these fields this morning at half past five, feeling wretched. And um, eventually I stopped and I just looked at the sky and I just said, higher power, like, what, what do I do? I cannot. This is awful. Like, I feel rotten. And immediately I had the strongest sense I just needed to come back into my body and into the present. And that for me, really, if I was, you know, sometimes when I try to explain when people, when friends and family ask me to try and better explain what, you know, what my relationship with God looks like. Really, it's very simple. I just say it's about being present. It's about being present in whatever's happening. And that can be good. That can be bad. That sometimes means like this morning. I need to sit with really painful things and feel them pass through my abdomen rather than stuffing my abdomen full of food so I can't feel it. Um, and it's, it's really that simple. I can make recovery very complicated. I can make my relationship with God and what that, that's meant to feel like, look like, sound like. I can make that very, very complicated. But actually, my life today, when I'm doing what I need to do and when I'm not complicating things, is just about being present in the joy and the pain and just the grey trudging areas in between. And actually, the majority of the time these days, I am not living in this imagined future. I'm not rehearsing for this great day when everything's OK. Most of the time I get to just live in today. And that's a true gift um, with our pass. Thank you, Rosie, from the UK. And before I take more names for people from people who would like to share, let me just remind everyone that we are on Bill's story. We're on page two, the first paragraph. And if anyone wishes to share, please remember that we, if we've shared in the last two days, that would be Wednesday or Thursday, on any of the vision meetings, we ask you just to hold back for today. So with that, I'm going to take names of people who would like to share on the second round. Who would like to have her name? Darian K. What is that? Darian. Darian. Darian K. What's that? UK. Who was after Darian? Linda D. Linda D. Claire E. from the UK. Is it Pat? Claire E. from the UK. Okay. Who's next? Donna K. Donna K. from Ohio. Donna K. All right. Anyone else? I have I have Darian, Linda, somebody from the UK who will tell me her name when she shares, 
and Donna Kay. Anyone else? All right, let's go to Darian then. Good morning, Darian. Good morning, Penny. Can you hear me okay? Very well, thank you. Good, good. Um, so I'm Darian Kay from the Berkshires in Massachusetts. So happy to be on the line with all of you. Um, so grateful to be able to share today. Um, biting, chomping at the bit, I guess I'd say, just, you know, relating so much to all the shares this week. Um, and, um, you know, but it's true what many people have said. Like when I first read Bill's story, I, I didn't, I couldn't imagine what I could have in common with a, a man, a successful uh, businessman, um, you know, alcoholic. <laughs> um, and boy, just going paragraph by paragraph and, and you know, relating to the different shares. Um, boy, do I see a clear as day that I am definitely um, a mirror image um, in regard to, you know, um, how Bill operates. And, um, you know, the approval seeking that people have spoken about and the um, ominous warning that we read about um, a few days back, um, all of those things, all of those things I can relate to. You know, I was just talking to someone this morning about that, you know. I grew up in a household. Um, we were on diets all the time. My mom was on a diet constantly. <laughs> um, and there was always, um, there was never any sweets in the house, except for AIDS candies at the time. <laughs> um, but that was the only sweet. Um, and, you know, she, and she, she never lost any weight, no, no success. Um, you know, and as time went on, um, you know, it affected her physically. And this is a slow killer disease. And, um, you know, she passed six years ago, sadly. And I think that um, her weight that she could not battle her entire life was, um, you know, at the crux of her demise. And um, so that's the ominous warning I have today. And, you know, I, I need to remember that. And then it's just, I, I just can't make it um, about just the food or just the weight it just has to be spiritual you know and that's that's the beauty of this program is and that makes it different from all others you know is that we have a spiritual piece and that we so freely help each other oh my gosh it's so wonderful to be able to call people and put your name out there group me and <laughs> um, zoom meetings and and all the wonderful things that we have um opportunities that we didn't have before um to just connect and stay connected because I know that my disease is right there, right there waiting for me. And I, and I just, I have to be vigilant and, um, and do everything that I have always done, you know, um, and be, and be grateful. So thank you so much. It's wonderful being on the line with all of you and have a blessed Friday. Thank you so much, uh, Darian Kay. Good to have you here. And next, Linda D. Good morning, Penny. Hi, everybody. It's Linda D. from Connecticut. I um, I was raised in the 50s and 60s. It was a very different um, atmosphere. I was a very innocent kid. I was in a society or a culture that said, um, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. And... Um, you can do it, kid, and uh, and I bought that. 
and I tried with everything I had. And I actually did work on Wall Street um, in the office right next to the cage where all the money for the day is kept behind, you know, big steel um, wall and all of that. And if you want nuts, that that's the home of nuts. Um, what's important is uh, that I have found this higher power by doing this work from this book with everyone's help. I have found God, and that means I work for God. And that means I'm going to have to grow every day. I'm going to have to do the work, which is sometime like walking through uh, a crisis with cement shoes because I'm so scared. And I've never seen anything like this before, whatever the this is. And I have to rely on all of you to help me. And I have to be in constant contact with God. This book, these steps, all of you make that possible. And I practice, practice, practice. That's what it takes. This magnificence shows up. And walks me through things I have never seen in my entire life. One of them is success. I've never seen that. I never felt entitled to it. I always felt like a fraud. You know, most of that wasn't true. I was just a really sick kid in an adult body. And now I get a chance to grow out of the darkness into the light. What's my choice today? Am I going to be a smart ass today and figure it all out myself? No, I am not. I'm going to listen to God and all of you and keep growing. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Linda D. And next we have a little angel told me her name is Claire. Claire E. from the UK. It's your turn. Oh, thank you, Penny. Yes, my name is Claire E. I'm a recovered compulsive eater in Cornwall in the UK. Um, yeah, do you know what? Um, I was listening to um, the the other meeting yesterday, the 10 a.m. meeting yesterday, and I was um, I was reminding myself, I guess, of the fact that, you know, Bill's story is in two halves. We've got this first sort of half of it, page one to eight, where, you know, I need to identify in. And, you know, did I, did I think like Bill thought? Did I eat like bill drank you know did i feel as he felt and you know i've underlined in my book you know every time i i identified with bill wilson because the first time i read this book or for many times i i read this book i didn't really relate to him i never worked in wall street i wasn't i've never been particularly rich or driven by money or um and i found it really difficult to identify but when i went through um with that head on as, as identifying in and finding my own stories you know, I've got 57 times here, you know, I've got identification with Bill W. And in this paragraph, I've got several bits underlined. You know, the drive for success was on. I proved to the world I was important. I went to medical school. Um, you know, it was all about how I looked to everybody else, you know, passing the exams, you know, looking sort of seeking success from the outside was, you know, it's all for me. My whole life was about how the window dressing looked, you know, was it all looking OK from the outside? 
um, you know, judging myself by these external standards um, just to try and feel okay about myself, you know. So, yes, I identify with Bill Wilson there. You know, I studied economics and business as well as law. Yes, I took on all sorts of other stuff. You know, I'd take it all on. I'd completely overcommit myself. And, um, and then I'd need to eat as my anaesthetic. I nearly failed my finals. I had to take time out to go into a treatment centre because my bulimia was so rampant. It actually, you know, meant I couldn't. I pretty much had a breakdown towards the end of my course. Um, and, you know, these things as well. I was, I, you know, I was eating too much to think all right. I was eating so much. I just couldn't concentrate on what I was doing. Um, and, um, you know, we had many um, conversations, not with my wife. I didn't have a wife or a husband at that point. But with my with my parents, you know, certainly my mum, you know, was very concerned about my food, my eating, my weight, my 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 general well-being and um you know i was the queen of lying denial and minimization to anybody that helped talk to me about my food i would i would minimize it i'd tell them i was in control uh, i don't know who i was trying to kid i don't i think i i was i was <laughs> very good at trying to kid people but you know i um I, I i used to just basically tell them that i was absolutely fine and managed to persuade that person my mum used to think that that she was she said i used to think i was going mad you know i i'd actually get them doubting their own sanity um, by 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 basically manipulating and conniving and telling them that I was I was in control I was I was absolutely fine thank you very much so you know do I identify with Bill Wilson oh yeah oh yeah I was like him very ego driven very very concerned with what everybody else thought about me and wanting to keep anybody that was going to challenge my eating absolutely at arm's distance um, and and that was you know how I lived many many years and unfortunately under the surface of course I was totally falling apart um, food was my master I was um, I was dominated by it and you know my life's not like that today I'm abstinent and happy to be so and um, I will leave it there thank you thank you Claire E and uh, next Donna Kay. Good morning. It's Donna Kay from Ohio. Uh, thank you for your service, Penny. Um, recovered but not cured. Um, I really uh, love the the part of the book we're reading right now, um, identifying in. Um, I definitely have a history of eating like Bill drank. Um, I tried everything. I was just to me, the answer was just restrict even more, you know, even go on a on a tougher, stronger diet. It was all very food-centered. Um, today, I'm in such a different place and so grateful for program. Um, I, I'm, I'm just very grateful and accepting of my path to be here. Um, uh, and I'm a different person, and I realize that it's, it's not, it's, this is not something that I can be self-reliant about. Um, I needed help and I'm so grateful, grateful for the, the spirituality of the program and that I don't have to do this alone anymore. Um, very, I'm grateful for program and uh, my life has changed radically and uh, I'm a different person. So anyway, thank you for letting me share. I'm going to sign off. Thank you, Donna Kay. And now um, I'm going to be taking more names. We have time for about three more people to share. So who would like to get those spots? Anita J. Christina J. Anita J. Who was after Anita? Christina J. Christina J. 
Okay. Anyone else? Susan D. And Susan, is it B? As in Barbara? D. 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 Yes, thank you. Okay, very good. Anita, why don't you come on in? Hi, right, thank you, Penny. Thank you for your service this month. Uh, my name is Anita J, and um, I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Massachusetts. Uh, Bill, who would think <laughs> Bill W and Anita J had so much in common? And I mean the inside particularly. I think about that BS that he says, that men of great, you know, men who really come up with the great answers, you know, are a little bit soused, you know? Well, that's the kind of lies I told myself. Um, not so much about becoming, um, you know, the excuse for my eating, but I envisioned myself and met, thought I was meant to be a great actress. And um, the thing is, I did not have the wherewithal to keep it going. I just, you know, you have a thought, you haven't, you've got to take an action. Well, you, this kind of thing takes, just like with the program, it builds, it keeps building. And you just can't say, I'm going to do this and expect it all to come your way. But that's what I did expect. And just to have one or two rejections would knock me off my my um, feet. I just didn't have it. And then I told myself, I became too adjusted to be an actress because I learned a few things, you know. And I thought, that's why, that's why I can't make it. I never looked to myself. Uh, these are the kinds of things I couldn't look inside. I was too afraid to look inside. That's one of the greatest things of these 12 steps that I discovered and unmasked and unmiss and that. And guess who it was? It was a loving child of God living inside me. Uh, what a gift. So if I had to fall that low to find that out, it was worth it. And with that, I passed. Thank you so much, Anita J. Next, Christina J. Morning, everyone. Christina J., State of Washington. Recovered for today. Thank you all for your service. Bill was not aware. Bill was young. He had a very insecure ego, and God gave him some gifts to forge out into the world with, to start his journey with. As far as I can tell, he did not have a connection with the higher power. It seems like no one taught him an altruistic life, so he did the best he could as he started out. In retrospect, the journey he starts here is the beginning of his walk towards God, towards something bigger than himself. But here at the beginning, he, I, had no clue. It took me throwing myself out there and forging ahead on the only thing I had at the time, my insecure ego, my selfish desires to be something, and the raw, undeveloped gifts that God gave me. But the biggest, most humongous gift over time has been the painful addiction the thing I could not control, that would slowly take down the empty tower of self, all the hard work and the burden of carrying around this selfish, self-centered, dishonest self, and the root of all that, the fears that drove me from the marrow of my bones to the surface of my skin. 
I felt the fire of the gifts God give me, gave me. I knew I had something huge to gift. I, I felt <laughs> it wanted to burst through my skin. I'd been ignored and not seen. I had the burden of getting discovered, of proving myself through the gifts that God gave me. <clears throat> I was going to take on that challenge and do whatever I had to do to meet those goals. Others did it. Why not I? In so many situations, I was either extremely white-knuckling, chewing gum like crazy to get through some diet I was on, or I was trying to hide in big clothes from being buried in sugar junk. It was poisoning my body, mind, and soul. I, I, I was the only thing I knew. The burden of self and the food I sought out for the comfort finally took the tower of my empty self down, and it was painful. It was painful. I didn't know where I was, where I stood. Who was I now that I wasn't forging ahead with my, you know, all that stuff? Who was I? It was very scary in the beginning of abstinence to feel those feelings of feeling like my life was a failure. To look back at all the years I pushed and shoved with that self-seeking, that fear that drove me. How was I going to prove myself now? One day God said to me, you don't have to anymore. You don't have to try to prove yourself. You prove yourself to me and then I use you and the gifts I gave you. I wield those gifts to help you be of service to those that are suffering. And over time, as I've been in this program, my heart has gone out. It's become compassionate, real. The heaviest thing I carry around is my heart now because it aches for other people. It aches for my own situation. And the young girl I was trying to prove myself that I could be something that people would love. But now I don't have to because God loves me and you love me. I hope some of you love me. It doesn't really matter, um, really. I mean, I don't I don't get on here to try to prove that you can love me. Um, I get on here to try to reach the newcomer and say, it's okay. It's okay, all that stuff we did. Bill didn't know. I didn't know. God bless him as he started out his journey. And God bless me. I can grieve that little self and let it go and be grateful that I had all that to forge forth in the world with that I had that insecure ego because it took me to the bottom and it took me to the place I am today. And I'm so grateful. And I love you guys. And I pass. Thank you, Christina J. And Susan D., if I could ask you just to take two minutes, please, um, if that's possible. Go ahead. Happy to do that. Hi, everybody. Susan D. from Massachusetts. Uh, just really want to say hello. And um this paragraph is amazing because, you know, I ate last night and I was abstinent for 15 days prior to that, which was the longest time I had been in a long, long time. So I'm feeling awful about it. But I think what happened was, is I went into this like, you know, I'm going to do it right this time. I'm going to do everything, everything, everything. And um, I was, I'm, was doing it but it was I don't know I think maybe I was just checking off boxes so when it said the quest for success uh, is on was on for Bill I think that's how I went about this which is I guess the way to anyway I sound like I'm I am crazy um, I just needed to say hello Massachusetts Susan thank you Thank you so much, Susan. That was that was uh, wonderful. And thank you to everyone who shared today and everyone who attended for that service. 
Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following the closing. And before that uh, second hour, we will have Jason Kay will be here to, to greet any newcomers, and the host of the second hour will be on hand also to, um, that's Barbara P. And so I'm going to call on now to end the meeting with the um, the reading from page 164, and we'll follow that with the serenity prayer. And I'm going to ask Barbara E. to read that selection on page 164 for us. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who's still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order, but obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.